I welcome Catherine Nichols, author of When the Only One You Can Trust Doesn't Exist, The Unreliables, and The Sometimes Sister. Welcome to my Greatest Imagination podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. You're welcome. Great to have you. Topic, how long does it take to write a book? Now, Catherine, first question, tell me and listeners your story and about your business. Well, my story started as a writer when I was, before I could write. Uh, I love to tell stories. Uh, I would keep my mother up late at night, making up stories about everything. And I also loved to come home from school and line up my dolls and play school. So I had this teacher writer thing going on from the very start. And I ended up after I graduated college, I worked as a copywriter for some radio and television stations. And that was really fun, but I, it, it was different kind of writing than I had wanted to do, although it was a lot of fun. But I decided to return to the idea of teaching. So I taught high school English for quite a few years. And when I ret- all along the way, I kept trying to get back to the writing. It was very difficult because I had this co- the career and I had children. And I'm sure everybody knows how that is. So unfortunately, I was able to gather stories and tidbits of them and keep records of them. But I didn't really get serious about the writing until after I retired from full-time teaching. And at that point, I thought, you know, if I'm going to have a third act, I better get to acting. And I did. So, And I joined a critique group, which I highly recommend to any beginning writers. And I can talk about that more if you want me to. But I started writing. It took a long, well, I wrote quite a few books before my first one got published. The Sometimes Sister was the first one to be published. And I I got an agent, um, but she wasn't able to represent my work the way it needed to be. And we parted on good terms. And then I found uh, Black Rose Writing, which is an independent publisher. They don't require an agent, but it's not self-publishing and you don't have, they do so much for you. It's great because I don't have a thing against self-publishing, but it's so much work. And I just didn't feel like I was qualified. So I went with this publisher. I've been very happy. They published my first book. Of course, I was a pandemic release person. So a launch party was going to be really different for me. And so I finally had a launch party for the first one. The second one came out this February, which caused some more issues. COVID was still attacking us. And I have a third one coming out next December. And I'm working on a sequel to The Sometimes Sister. So I'm keeping busy. Oh, and I'm having a fifth grandchild. My youngest grand, my youngest daughter is going to have a little boy in June. So lots of fun Congratulations. things. Congratulations. Thank Congrats. you. Congrats. You're welcome. So next question. Catherine, tell me and listeners about your books. Oh, I love to talk about my books. I'll try not to go too crazy. My daughter says, don't tell too much, mom. Don't tell the endings because they are suspense. Uh, They're listed (laughs) as suspenseful women's fiction and writers probably already understand this. I always kind of bristle a little bit when they say women's fiction because we love to read everything, all kinds of writing. 
but it, you need to know where to put it on the shelves or where to how to categorize it. But it also is all of my books have an element of suspense in them. And oddly, all of them end up having a, at least one dead body. So they're, they're kind of mysteries, but more suspense and thrillers. My husband says he sleeps with one eye open because I'm always Googling things like how to get away with murder or what is a 45 caliber gun and, you know, these different things. But my first book was, was, I wouldn't exactly say inspired, but the idea came from a friend of mine who had a younger sister and the younger sister got in with the, the wrong group. She married a man and moved to an island country and Unfortunately, she was beaten to death. He got away with it, but um, we're, we're not sure that no one was sure he did it, but everyone was sure he did it. But so the sometimes sister, I would, I just kept mulling that over and how awful it would be. And I don't have a sister myself. I always kind of wanted a sister. My, I have a wonderful brother. But when I've been doing some book talks, several people have said, yeah, you know, a sister, you know, sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. And that's kind of part of my title. Only in my book, the the lesson is more, there is no such thing as a sometimes sister. If you're a sister, you're a sister through everything and life and okay. afterlife. So the book is set in Atlanta and in Ecuador, because in my book, the um, the younger sister who her older sister absolutely adored and still adores uh well unfortunately the younger sister stole her older sister's fiance and they went to ecuador because her husband was in yeah her husband yeah that's a big one and, and and when i talk to women who have sisters i'm like is that something is that a deal breaker you know could you never forgive and in my story she doesn't grace as the narrator. She doesn't get a chance to forgive. Uh, very early on in the book, you find out something okay. has happened to the sister, and that's why Grace goes to Ecuador. So uh, a good third of the book, I would say, or maybe a little more, is set in Ecuador, which was fun because I haven't been. I've been to countries with similar climate, similar, and similar foliage, and so I, I was able to think like that. But I picked it because in, uh, it's a non-extradition country, or they say they'll extradite, but if you've got money, they won't, they won't mess with you. So I described a lot of things about Ecuador, and one of the members of my critique group asked me, and he's really well-traveled. He loves that part of the country. He, well, he loves everywhere. And he said, um, when were you in Ecuador? And that was like such a big compliment to me because settings can be so tricky. And, and I said, well, I was there last night on Google. <laughs> so uh, I, I confess that I haven't been. I still would love to go. So that book is about family and forgiveness and some pretty, some pretty dark family secrets. But when I tell people that and then I say, but it's funny and everybody's like, what? But the heroine is the kind of person you root for. She learns her strength. There's some romance. I'm not a hot, steamy romance person. I I do the kind of the making out stuff and then wake up in the morning and everybody has breakfast. But uh, and in Ecuador, they have some great breakfasts. So I um, brought it back to the theme of family forgiveness and Grace has to forgive herself because she feels like she should have done something before her sister died. So she has to forgive her sister, herself, and herself for not forgiving. 
The, the second book, The Unreliables, similar theme. We have a, a widow whose husband was murdered. She suspects that it was not a random shooting. The police call it a random shooting. They don't know what else to do. And throughout the book, she finds she does. It's, she's not like a uh, detective, but she just starts trying to piece things together. And this book also has a deals with veterans issues because one of the characters is a Vietnam vet who has come back and been pretty much abandoned by the system. And he becomes an important part of the story. I did some research on that and um, just for Atlanta and came across some very shocking and, and sad uh, statistics, very frustrating about how we don't really take care of the people who go and fight for us. And they come back uh, with very understandable trauma and we just kind of pretty much leave them on their own. The third book also has a murder. Um, the woman in that book is um, a public relations. She works for a public relations firm and represents this horrible judge who's running for re-election. So we have a murder. We have a teenager who has lost her mom. But my favorite part is we have this intergenerational relationship between grandmother, daughter, and the narrator, who's the granddaughter. And it opens with, according to family legend, my mother was conceived in the back of a van at Woodstock after Janis Joplin's performance of A Piece of My Heart. So right away, I'm setting up this wacky grandmother who's just loosely, well, I say loosely, she's based on my grandmother, but my grandmother was not a Woodstock gal. She might have been had she known about it, <laughs> but she was much different from that. But the relationships between granddaughters and their grandmothers is something very important to me. So I have a family theme in all of them. I have a grief and forgiveness theme in all of them so far. And I'm working on a sequel to The Sometime Sister. And it has two, two viewpoints, which I don't know why in the world I decided to try that because it's really hard. But that's, that's my book story right now. Great. Great. Next question. Catherine, tell me and listeners about such a great mentor you are to women. Well, thank you. I, I don't know how great I am, but I do think it's very, very important. And I that, once again, go back to my elementary school days, I was always campaigning for uh, my friends to have later bedtimes. And I got in a fight on the playground because these boys called one of my friends fat. And the teacher broke up the fight and said, that you're, you're not being a lady. And I said, I don't want to be a lady. So from the very beginning, <laughs> I had this kind of, I was just kind of a pain about it. And I got, I, you probably don't know who Gloria Steinem is, but she was very, very influential in the uh, first of the women's movement. And I got to, to speak with her personally. No, no. Oh, yeah. And um, I got to talk to her in, in college, in, in my in college, and she was wonderful. And in when I taught high school, all of I kept on with uh, working for women's rights. But when I became a high school teacher, I taught girls who were in what we call the gifted program, and they have so much pressure. And one of my projects when I was getting my degree was to look at those pressures. So I formed a it was like it started out as a self help group. They were helping each other with the pressures. And it was so wonderful because very quickly they said, we don't want just this to be just for gifted girls. 
let's ask any girl who is taking an honors class, who's pushing herself. And so it grew that way. And then it was like, we don't care about that. Let's ask any girl who wants to push herself, who is a, who's nervous about taking a harder class, who's nervous about all the pressures that she's under. And I had the most wonderful time with these girls. I'm still Facebook friends with many of them. And it's so great to see what they're doing. They're doing such great things. And that was so important to me. It stuck with me. When I joined a critique group for writers, uh, it was a, uh, a mixed group. We have men and women. We have multiple genres, which I, I don't have any problem with at all. The men had some excellent insights. And sometimes they would say things that I would be like, that doesn't make any sense. But I would go back to the place they had pointed out. And it wasn't that they had gotten, I didn't necessarily follow their tip, but I almost always found a way to make that spot better, which was what we were trying to do. But we also realized the group had gotten pretty big and there were about, there were five of us who, women, who said, let's go ahead and have a supplemental group. We'll still go to the first one, but we want to have an all women's group because that way we can really hit hard on our audience because I imagine you know this, but I think it's between 70 and 80% of books are bought by women. So if men read my books, they like them, but there's a good chance that most men are not going to go to the shelf and, and pick my book up. Uh, my husband says he loves them, but he kind of has to, but he does read, he does read them and he does ask me questions and seem to enjoy them. But um, with, with the woman's group, we could really get into the characters and we understood what we wanted our characters to say and how we wanted them to say it. And so from that, we formed, a, we got a web page going called Wild Women Who Write. And then I was asked to be a guest on a podcast, which I had never done. And I was a guest and I went back to the group and I said, I think we should start a podcast. So they were like, well, how do you do it? I said, I don't know, but we'll find out. So now we, we have a podcast too. It's called Wild Women Who Write Take Flight. And we have been so lucky. We had a lot of local authors at first that just came to my house and chatted. And several of them are internationally known and bestseller on the bestseller list. Like Kimberly uh, Bell and we've had Kimberly Brock, who's done really well. We had a wonderful lady named Martina Clark, who told her story about being the first woman and certainly the first white woman back in the nine, 96, I think it was, who was diagnosed with HIV. And she they gave her five years to live and she just took off with it. She became an activist. She ended up working for the UN as a representative. She went to Africa. She's done all these wonderful things. And she tells about it in her book, My Unexpected Life. So we, we also now with COVID and with the fact that we're branching out to authors from other places, we do a lot. We do both Zoom interviews. And if they're in town, we do local interviews. And that has been so much fun. We advocate for women authors and, for, and advocate for them supporting each other because there are a lot of women authors. And, you know, right. most I, my books, I'm not going to be a James Patterson or, oh, I'd love to be a Margaret Atwood, but that's not going to happen. But I want women to read my books. I want everybody to read my books. And I want to encourage uh, readers to support lesser known authors. And if they're women, that's even better. Great, great. Okay, next question. What was the challenges you faced writing your books? Well, of course, always finding time and being disciplined. 
I'll go through phases where I'm very disciplined. I'll write and I won't let myself get up till I write either 500 or 1,000 words. But I'd say even more than that is being distracted by both the frustrating and joyful occasions in our life. For example, we moved four months ago after being in a house for 36 years. Do not do that. Either move sooner or get rid of everything along the way if you're going to stay longer, because it was really, really hard. And uh, it threw me off my routine. That was a big example of getting thrown off my routine. But I work with uh, Atlanta Sisters in Crime, which is, uh, it's it's not just a women's group. We have quite a few men who are members. We call it Sisters and Misters in Crime. It's a national group. And it's an excellent group because they they book these great uh, webinars on forensic and, you know, they answer some of the questions so I don't have to scare my husband with my uh, Internet history. But they have uh, authors and, and they're a really good group and I'm on their board. And then the Atlanta Writers Club, which is local, but it's very big. It's excellent. That's how I located the critique group. We're having a conference May the 6th and we encourage members to come and they get a chance to meet with agents and editors and all these, they're great presentations. They can have people look at their query letters. So I get involved in those sorts of things, which I need to be involved with. I want to be involved with, but they throw me off my routine. And then I'll go down a rabbit hole. I'm not good about shutting off all my media, uh, social media. So I'll be right in the middle of writing. I'll look up to take a break and notice, oh, I've got a notification here. You should put that out of the room. I'm telling you what not to do. Um, you put it out of the room so it doesn't interrupt you, but I, I will get distracted. So the good distractions, the bad distractions, the ongoing distractions, that's the biggest challenge for, for writing. Okay, great. Thank you. Tell me and listeners about your podcast you started. Okay, we can skip that. You already explained about your podcast. Into, I couldn't wait. more. <laughs> Okay, well, go into detail. Oh, uh, yes, we like I like I said, we have talked about we've talked to other authors, and we've also talked about things like developing characters. And we have this wonderful interview because in my book, The Unreliables, my narrator is an author herself, and she's she's very she's not at all like her main character. Her main character is named Garnet. And Garnet is a sexy, take-no-prisoners heroine. And she just has this great voice. And Kara, the author, loves writing about her. But she doesn't think she's anything like Garnet. Well, throughout the book, she, Garnet pops in. And at first, it's just she, she uh, my character hears her speaking. But there she's talking in lines that the my the writer wrote, but then Garnet starts going rogue and she starts giving advice to my main character. And then she actually manifests and shows up in person. And so my character is seeing a psychiatrist and taking medication. So you never are quite sure exactly what's going on, but I wanted to know how to write about a psychiatrist or what not to do. You know, like basically I think psychiatrists are wonderful doctors. I love counselors. They're great. If you need a counselor, 
go to one. I was going to say you're crazy if you don't go to one, but I guess you go because you think you're crazy, but you're not if you go to a counselor. But I think they're just wonderful. So we had a counselor talk to us. That was one of our best interviews. He's not a writer, although he has, he could be, but he talked about, you know, things that do happen between a patient and a doctor and things that would probably never happen. So you shouldn't put them in there and things that if they did happen, he'd probably be arrested. And and it was just so interesting. So we've had things that are connected to writing, but not all straight out authors. If you want to be uh, an author or if you're interested in how authors come up with their ideas, Wild Women Who Write Take Flight is a great opportunity to listen in. And we we have very just it's just like sitting around talking with us is what we're aiming for. So it's a, I would I hope people will check it out and yours, too, of course. I think I'm losing your audio. Um, first of all, call yourself a writer. I, I said I, I, I read this the other day and I thought, geez, I wish somebody had told me that because I would say things people, would say, you know, they knew I had retired from teaching. I had done some university work and people knew I wasn't doing that. And they're like, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a writer. No, I was a writer. I, I, I was trying to get published, but call yourself a writer and then be a writer. Write, write your stories. Stick with it. Get a critique group as soon as you feel comfortable with it. And if you can't get a group, get another author who would like to look at your work. A beta reader is someone.